piece. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Is that me or you? Uh, you playing with me, wasn't you? Philippians chapter 2. That's how you know you're getting old. I was playing golf with some guys yesterday. That was my mistake, hot. But we got out there like 7.15 in the morning. And so it was really great. It was nice. It wasn't crowded playing. And there was a gentleman. I assume there were gentlemen that were playing behind us. It was like two groups. And apparently they're like my age or older because we could hear every single word they said. Like they're back in the fairway. We're on the green or leaving the green to go to the next tee box. And you could hear them having a conversation, discussing gap wedges, 54 degrees. I don't know what any of that means, but it, I found it interesting. And they're, they're screaming. It sounded like they're screaming at each other. And apparently they were just holding a normal conversation. And I said, you know, I got a feeling of hearing in the two groups behind us. So I'm sure the day will come. I'll be screaming and not even realize. Mary says it happens now, but... I walked in somewhere the other day, I don't even remember where, maybe in the hunter. I walked in somewhere the other day, and I do have a rather loud mouth. It's a gift. So I, wa- I walked in wherever I was, and I was just talking to somebody. I heard, I go, oh, I recognize that voice, that person I was looking for. All right, if you look at the top of your handout, I have a bold goal for today. You know what that is? I'm going to finish this puppy today. You know, you don't always reach goals, but it's good to have them. Keeps you motivated. Keeps you moving forward. One should have goals. Write that down. All right, now, you'll notice on the screen, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. The top of your handout, we're talking about our joy attitude, particular part of a Philippians, is sacrifice. We're going to look at some examples of that, that today. We didn't really get into the examples last week. But I want you to notice 1 John chapter 1. Now, you remember John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. John was part of Jesus. Jesus' inner circle. There were three guys that Je- when you see Jesus at his most significant moments, his transfiguration and other places in the garden, you see these three guys, Peter, James, John. John even described himself, we're doing our nickname series, his nickname for himself was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And what he meant by that was that he was overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus could love him, that he was unworthy, and yet Jesus loved him in such a personal, deep way. So he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when you read his writing, it's the overwhelming theme that jumps from the gospel is that Jesus God, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he loves us so much that he gave his life to save us. And then in his epistles over and over, he deals with love. So in 1 John, he writes these words, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, that eternal life with the Father, and was manifested to us. If you go back and read, for example, John 17, the great high prayer of Christ in the upper, the end of the upper room discourse written by John, he begins prayer referring to glory he had with the Father before the world ever existed. And then he prays for us in one of those powerful chapters in the Bible. Now here's what John is saying and what we're looking at today, beginning this. If you'll notice in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, this is where we left off last week. Philippians 2.16. Anybody get there? He says, holding fast the word of life. And if you remember, as we ended up last week, we're talking about that means two things. Holding fast to the word of life and then holding forth 
the word of life. And that's what John was talking about, that the eternal word of life, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, in the beginning was the word, the word written by John, the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So here's what he's saying. Here we saw in 1 John, that eternal word, the great logos, God himself spoke the universe into existence, came as Jesus. He was the Christ, the anointed one, Savior, the Messiah. He came as Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh to us, the incarnation. We held him. We touched him. We spent time with him. It was an incredible three years. So now we share with our world the word of life. We got to hold the word of life, touch it, see it, watch him work. We saw God walk on water. We saw God raise people from the dead. We saw God heal people who, who were crippled from birth, blind from birth. We saw it. We were part of it. We saw him feed 20,000 people with a little lunch of one boy. We saw him, we saw him change the molecular structure of a, a cask of water became wine. He literally changed the molecular structure from H2O to whatever wine would be. Before our very eyes, we saw that. We got to hear him. Imagine going when Jesus would be preaching like the Sermon on the Mount, being the audience. What an incredible moment. They saw all that. They experienced. He said, now we get the great privilege sharing that word of life, Jesus, with our world. Now, here's my, what I'm really trying to get out of Philippians that God has poured into me that I hope you're getting. You have the same privilege. Oh, I hope you understand. If you're a child of God, if you're born again, you have the amazing call upon your life and privilege to hold forth the word of life who holds so dear. The person of Jesus Christ, you find out about in the word of God, study a book like Philippians, apply that book, let it mold, shape, change, form your life, and then you go out and you share the word of life. In him was life. In him is life. Greek word life, zoe. We get our word zoology from it. He is the essence of all life. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So last week, you look at the, on your handout on number one, as we're talking about this idea of sacrifice. Am I willing, with all those things in mind, am I Randy Lockley, or whatever your name might be, if you want to change it to Randy Lockley, I would understand. I can't even get anybody to name a baby, but that's a different story. So whatever your name is, I, your name, try that. Whatever your name is, I have a great privilege. Am I, is question applying, am I willing, like the apostles were, the early church, and many even today, are willing to say, I'll die from God as the ultimate sacrifice. But in our life, in our case, we're not at that point yet in our country that we have to die for our faith. But am I willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary to share the word of life, to be what God wants to be, called me to be, working, we talked about, in me to be? Am I willing to sacrifice what's necessary? So last week we looked at under number one, working with God and working with fellow believers and working with non-believers. So today, starting in verse 17, we're looking at the idea of working with the Apostle Paul. So let's read 16 into 17 in the context. Holding fast the word of life so that I, Paul, may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now I realize, I, I know this paper, I realize that none of you knew the Apostle Paul personally. Well, no, I don't think any of you. So here's what he's saying. He's writing to the Philippians. He's saying, I understand I look at my surroundings, I look at my circumstances, and I'm expecting to have my head chopped off when Nero gets through with me. And so let me encourage you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He writes it again here. Now, you hold forth the word of life. Hold fast to it first, so it'll change you. Then hold it forth. And as you do that, 
I rejoice, Paul's saying, about the Philippians. But I want to, by extension, say he's also rejoicing about us. Just like Jesus, the great high priest of prayer, prayed for all who would follow and believe in him. Paul, as you study Philippians, or Galatians, or Ephesians, or Romans, or 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote a lot of good stuff, didn't he? On and on, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Jude, Titus, on and on. All the things that he wrote, all that we learn about his life as we read the book of Acts, and we're, we're still impresses us. We're still motivated by it. We're still excited to read that, to be what everything God wants to be. By application, if we take principles that we learn from the Word of God that was written by the Apostle Paul, God worked with him, apply those principles. We're working with Paul, just like he's saying to the Philippians. And notice what he's saying. That I can rejoice the day of Christ, at the great day to come, also known as the Bema Seat of Christ, the Judgment Seat of Christ, when all believers stand before Jesus. It's not the great white throne judgment to determine whether you're, you know, where the non-believers will be judged. But for those of us who are believers, when we go to the Judgment Seat of Christ and we get our rewards, Paul says, I will rejoice over all that you've been doing at that day of Christ. When the time comes, the Philippians and what we have done, shown slights and crooked and perverse generation, shared the word of life. And notice what he says. And I will not have run in vain or labored in vain. Verse 17. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice, the service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And notice picture, beautiful metaphorical picture in the life of a Hebrew. He's saying yes and if. In Greek, that's better translated, cause. He expected to be executed, so he writes, because I am being poured out as a drink offering. Now hang with me for a second. Let me explain to you what that means because it's a, it's a beautiful picture and it'll make so much more meaning. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Another term for that would be a libation, term you may have heard. I'm being poured out as a libation or a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. That word service in Greek, as we get our English word liturgy from it, liturgical, you may have know that, your background growing up, liturgical church you went to, that's where that word comes from. Here's what he's saying, a libation or drink offering in the Old Testament, and really a lot of the pagans did the same thing. If you, had an, if you, if you put something on the altar, a burnt sacrifice, and you were sacrificing that to God or to your God, you were a pagan, many times they would take a libation, water or honey or wine, water mixed with something, and they would pour it on the sacrifice or they would pour it on the ground before the sacrifice so as it burnt and as the smoke rose it would have a sweet scent going up to whom there God so what he's saying is if my life as Paul the apostle his church that he loved so deeply if my life is being sacrificed liturgy on the on the sacrifice of service of your faith and what he's talking about is you the Philippians it was going on then and it was going to get much worse Worse under Nero, they were, their persecution was going to be horrific because they were believers. And he's saying, if I've got to die, or if by my death, respect cause, as I die, I pray that my death will be an encourage to you as I, my life is poured out on your sacrifice as you're persecuted. You can rejoice in your circumstances because that's what I'm doing. For example, Paul is one example. We're going to see a couple in a moment. If you go back to history, have you ever heard of a book called Fox Book Martyrs? And if you've never read that book, you need to go get it. I don't know if you can get it on your Kindle or not. You could buy it at Lifeway. You can get it online. Fox is F-O-X-E-S, Book Martyrs. And go back to the time of the early church going forward, probably the 1990s. And I don't know if a new edition uh, further or not. But individuals died for one reason and one reason only, because they were followers of Christ. If you've never read, I mentioned this many times, if you've never read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, read that book and then start 
praying. You will be challenged. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've never read it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, oh, and I could give you example after example after example of believers that died simply because they were believers. That challenges us, encourages us. Nothing is more important than your faith in even your own life, existence on earth, because they die. For me to live as Christ, to die is, yeah, it's a win-win deal for you. By the way, you're going to die at some point anyway. And I'm not saying you should, nobody looks forward to being to death, I understand, or dying a horrific, I'm not making light of it. But what I'm saying is, you go home, paradise. You go, your father welcomes you, says, well done, good. So what Paul is saying, if that's what it takes, I'm thrilled. I want to encourage you. Even now, as we sit here in 2018, we read the book of Philippians. I don't know about you. I know personally, and I can take it back to 1988, study books way. Every time I, I memorize a lot of it, every time I open the Bible and I read, motivate. I am encouraged. I am telling get up. I did about life. Whatever it is, good or bad. Talk more about that in a moment. Good or bad. To live Christ in every, every moment. Life is a blessing. The older you get, the more you understand. It's a challenge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul wrote these words. But how much you love people. Listen to these words. 2 Corinthians 2. Out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. He's agonizing, crying. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. He loved. I think sometimes with our mind and challenge. Do I really love them? Does it bother me that they might not be going to heaven? Do I care enough to my feet out, pray for them, love them, care? Do I just kind of rock up and I'm a good person? We should be loving. Why? Because caring people. Why? Because praying people. Why? Because Jesus. Pray. You know that. Pray for, pray for each other. Pray we all be out abundantly. Jesus loved us. We love because he first. So Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Which, by the way, he had a lot of problems with that church. They were wicked, they were fleshly, they were moral, they were, un they were about the opposite of the church at Philippi. Read 1 Corinthians, tough book. 2 Corinthians writes back to say thank you, because they straightened out something. He says, I want you to know how much I agonize over you, how much I love you. And I want you to listen to Romans chapter 9. I never noticed this till a few years ago. What a powerful statement. In Romans chapter 9, Paul writes these words. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. My countrymen according to the flesh. What he's saying there? Do you understand those words? Now, Paul was Jew. We're going to see next as you get in chapter 3. Proud he was. Of, and he writes in Romans that I love my Jewish brethren flesh so much. If it were possible, I would give up my salvation. That's impressive. I'm getting bumps. He's quoting that I would give up heaven if I could die. I love them. This is a guy you can learn from. This is a guy you can be encouraged by. This is a guy you can say, I want to emulate. He wrote in 1 11, 1, imitating as I also imitate. He wasn't perfect. See that next. He wasn't perfect. Struggled hard. Had a hard time. Struggled. And he wanted everybody to know. He got saved. All he lived. And Jesus said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. That's your job. But he loved the Jews. He loved them. He wanted to see them saved. He said, I'll give up whatever, anything, even if I have to die. Hebrews chapter 12. I don't I want you to turn there. But in Hebrews chapter 12, it talked about surrounded by the great cloud of witness. And most of us think that that's people in heaven are down, looking down on us. It's not what at all. It means martyrs, example, surrounded by all the examples that have died in the faith, gone to heaven. We learn them. Run the race. Run your race like they did. Your eyes fix Jesus, the author, and he puts you in the race. He's waiting for you at the end. Now run it. Keep your eyes focused. If you get your eyes off your lane when you're running, what happens? What happens to me is I fall down. If you're not winning that race, you take your eyes off the goal. Focus. Am I willing? Focus on Jesus. Put you in the race, waiting for you at the end. I know whom I believe and I am He is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against the day. I don't know the day you know it's coming. My job is to run my race right now where I am. Run it. Focus. Now you get to verse 19. We're going to quickly run through the rest of it. 19 through 30, you're going to see three examples. Three examples. We've really talked about one. We're going to focus on two examples of men who were willing to sacrifice. 
Men, just like me and you. Not God in the flesh. Men. Paul was a man. Timothy was a man. Epaphroditus was a man. People, just like us, saved by God, called by God, used by God, just like us. We'll look at these two examples. Let's start with Timothy. These were men who were willing to hold forth, willing to hold fast. Three very different men. Let's start with Timothy, verse 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Paul's plan was to send Timothy because he could, he, Paul could not go. He was in Rome. He was going to send Timothy to Philippi. That's my plan. That I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his, Timothy's, proven character. That as a son with, with his father, he served me, Paul, in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. As soon as I know what's happening here with me and Nero, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly, even though he expected to die. If I don't, we talked about this earlier, if I live, I die, I do it all for Christ. I hope to come, but in the interim, I'm going to send Timothy. Now, I want you to notice Timothy, then as we get to Epaphroditus, really interesting contrast. We've heard of Timothy, right? How many of you here have somebody you know named Epaphroditus? Okay, look, if you're not going to go with Randy, what about Epaphroditus? Good guy. Okay, maybe not. We'll see you in a moment. Timothy, you've heard of. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. Timothy was his protege. Timothy was the one when Paul died, he handed the baton to him and said, take it, run. You read 1 Timothy, especially 2 Timothy, the last Paul wrote, we died. Basically, he will. He's saying, here it is, done all I could do. Man, it's a great picture, disciple, because I know I ain't going to be around, so I got to pour myself everybody that I can, so it'll carry on. Now, I realize you're going to carry on. He didn't give me an opportunity. He says he's going to pass the baton to Timothy. Timothy's mom was Jewish. His father was a pagan. He's Greek. He met Paul at Lystra on Paul's first missionary journey. Paul had been stoned. You read uh, through, the, through the book of Acts. You read other places. You see, he, he was left dead on a number of occasions. They had stoned him and left him for dead at the city gates. And Timothy meets him there. His mom and his grandmother were devout believers. They taught him the Old Testament. He, now, it's fascinating about Timothy, and he's, I don't mean this gross, but he was not circumcised as an infant, all right? His, again, his mom was a believer, his grandmother was a believer, they let him, uh, they, uh, he meets Paul, he said he's going to follow Paul. Paul asked him as a grown man to get circumcised, so that Jews would listen, he had something, and he willingly, look at the title of outline, what? That's sacrifice. He willingly allowed himself as a grown man, uh, if you know a grown, my father was circumcised as a grown man in the military. I had a friend, one of my best friends in high school, did not get sized for after high school. Ask somebody sometimes as a grown man. It's painful, painful. He was willing to do that for one reason, two reasons. One, Paul asking. And two, he did it so he could share the gospel with someone. There are illustrations of different missionaries around throughout, like Fox Book of Martyr again. You read the history of people who adopted China, got shaved his head in the process of cause Christ. Shaved his head, grew a ponytail, and witnessed Chinese accepting the way dressed like they ate like they he met them where they were so timothy says if that's what i need to do i'll do that willing to sacrifice uh he was a very and by the way he was not a big strong man he was a very frail young man a very weak stomach we like to quote the phrase so we like to paul say wine for your stomach. oh paul take a paul told he take a wine for your stomach he had a lot of stomach frail young man very he was a quiet man reserved very much an introvert a lot like me but he became, under Paul, powerful for the gospel. He became the elder, pastor of the extremely large, very influential church at Ephesus, their pastor. His name means to honor God. And as Paul writes words, Philippians, Timothy had been his, he had seen a lot, had heard a lot. The Apostle Paul, right aside. Listen to some of these quotes Paul <clears throat> mentions Timothy in his writing. Quote, he is a true child in the faith. He is my beloved son, my beloved and faith child in the Lord, my fellow worker, my fellow bondservant. 
And Timothy left home, and as far as we could tell, he never married, never had children, serving in the gospel. So you look at verses 19 to 21, and what you see is that he had a servant's mindset. Servant's mindset. The phrase there in Greek, there means sold with Paul. He will sincerely care for your state. He said he will focus on the thing Christ Jesus. In Paul's mind, Timothy, is like, you ever had anybody in your life, and I've been fortunate to have people like that you can trust absolutely? And I don't mean your spouse. I mean, or your children. Let's get outside that. Somebody you could say you knew that if they told you they were something, it was absolutely going to happen. There's some people's room. I don't buy names. I'm embarrassed. But if I ever asked to do something, I said, I'll do it. I never thought. I know it's because they told me they would do it. Now, there are other people, they're in this room, but not There are other people that you ask them to do something, they'll tell you you'll do it, and then guess what? You got to go back and check. And a lot of times it's not done, or it's not done right. You have people in life who did it. Not only do they do it right, they do it the way you would do it, but you know your way's better than anybody else's. Anyway. Many of you who are bosses, a lot of times you just get fed up with some of the people that work for you, and what do you do? Forget it, I'll do it myself. Years ago, when I, when I was in the greeting card business, I had 12 women that worked for me. I just had 12 women that worked for me. That's how you made money in that business. Part-time people that worked for me. They came in and they kept everything set up and cool where you could find, like ladies, when you go to buy a card and all the cards are thrown everywhere and you can't find an envelope, what do you do? You go buy your card somewhere else. Don't you? you walk in there and you can find what you're looking for. You don't look on the net back to see if Hallmark's on there because that stinks anyway. You're looking for American greetings. It's been 30 years. I still got it. Now, that's who I worked for. So you want those cards straight. You want people to be able to find. You want selection. You want them to be able to find what they're looking for. I had 12 women that worked for me. I had one named Lois. Nobody liked Lois but me. You know why they didn't like Lois? Because I love Lois. Lois, when you went in one of her stores, it was always straight. It was always filled up. When people wanted to find something, they could find it. Some of these other ladies, I'd go in their stores, everything, and I had to chew them out. I had to get on to them. I'd have to fire them. I'd have to hire them constantly. I'd have to go to Dyersburg, fire that girl, try to find somebody in Dyersburg, fill that job. And then I had one of the other salesmen in town hire my wife because I couldn't hire her. So one of the other salesmen hired her. He, he worked for him for a while. And then every now and then she'd slide over and help me. Because she was on the payroll. Now, when Mary went to work, she was better at rearranging and setting up a new store than any salesman we had on the payroll, including me. Because she had that in mind. So I knew that when Mary was working a store, I didn't have to do what? Worry about it. It was better than if I was there, so I stayed away. Or if Lois was there, some of the others, I'd have to do what? Including sales. I'd have to go back and check on them because I couldn't trust them like I could Mary or Lois. And they would say, you know, we'd have a little meeting with the ladies, and they would say, why do you like Lois so much? I said, because Lois produces it. She doesn't run her mouth. She does her job. And I can trust Lois. Next one on the agenda. Timothy had a servant's mindset. Verse 22, Timothy had a servant's ministry. Servant's ministry. He just did what the Lord wanted him to do. He did what Paul wanted to do. Verse 23. So if his heart proven track record, Paul says, I'm going to send him. And his mentor, obviously, Paul, going to have. And now, I want us to look for a moment at Epaphroditus. To be honest, yeah, I want you to raise your hands on this. How many of you prior to today had heard the name Epaphroditus? Not a name you hear all the time, right? How many of you had heard of Timothy? How many of you have heard of Artaxerxes in history? He's actually talked about a little bit in prophecy. You never heard of Epaphroditus. Now, he wasn't an elder. He wasn't an apostle. There's no record anywhere of his work or his accomplishment. There's no record of his family or his wife. But look at verse 25. I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, Paul writes, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need. If nothing else, what do we know about Epaphroditus from this? He was trusted by the church at Philippi to take their gift to Paul. And how does Paul describe him? Fellow worker, brother, it's an interesting guy. Now hang with me for a moment because it's fascinating. His name, notice the name, Epaphroditus. If you take away the EP at the beginning, you history buffs, what name jumps out at you? 
Aphrodite. Ever hear the Greek goddess Aphrodite? That's what his name means, belonging to Aphrodite. Remember, his dad was pagan. Aphrodite was Greek goddess of what? Love. It was also Greek goddess of charm. It's a fascinating picture. When, uh, when people would gamble, their name charming, when they would gamble, and they would throw the dice, they would say, Epaphroditus, asking Aphrodite to bless the dice. So now, next time you're shooting dice with the boys, instead of saying, Daddy needs a new pair of shoes and flinging the bones, you say, Epaphroditus. You never know. It might, it might work. That's literally what they would do. It's a term the gamblers would use. Epaphroditus, when they would throw the dice. Next time you're in Tunica, don't look like you never go down there. Next time you're in Tunica and you're at the tables, start trying. This would be hilarious, actually. Throw the dice, say Epaphroditus, and then turn to somebody and say, you know where that is in the Bible? Said, I just happen to have one here. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And then we'll chunk some more bones. Epaphroditus. And then when you start winning, they're like, whoa, give me that Bible. Epaphroditus, all right. That's what his name meant. So it's, it's really fascinating. In the early church, there was a group called the Gamblers. That's what they called themselves after Epaphroditus. And what they would do was visit prisoners and minister to people who were really sick. No one else would see because they were afraid of their disease. And we're willing to gamble. We'll take care of them. In the name of Jesus, his fellow believer, a worker, fellow soldier. Is it common if he was faithful, a messenger of the church of Philippi, Paul, and a faithful minister, Paul, on their behalf. Now I want you to notice verse 26. Notice verse 26. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. It says Epaphroditus was distressed. In Greek that means he had a deep anguish and anxiety, emotional turmoil. Notice what he's upset about. This shows the willingness, capacity, sacrifice to love. Epaphroditus was really sick. As a matter of fact, he was dying, sick unto death. And what was he upset about? That the people at Philippi had heard about it and they were about him. You see that? He was distressed emotionally in turmoil and in anxiety because his fellow believers at Philippi were upset that they had, when they found out, he was dying. He didn't want them upset about him. He didn't want them worry about him. Look at verse 28. I sent him the more eagerly. Would you see him? You may rejoice. They were worried about him. Paul says that I may be less sorrowful. I may be less sorrowful. There, verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. Hold such men in esteem, Timothy and Epaphroditus, because for the work of Christ, Epaphroditus came close to death. Not regarding his life, supply was lacking in your service toward me for Christ. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. Receive him back. He almost died so he could bring your gift. He almost died, and he did it all for Christ. He wasn't worried about his own life. He was worried about what he wants me to do. Paul said, you hold those kind of men in high esteem. And then the last one, number four, is Paul. We've already talked about this. Paul described, let's give you the blanks, because I know you like these outlines. Refer to them for you. Paul's verse 12, we were his beloved. Verse 16, 18, you see there, as his rejoicing. Verse 19, his encouragement. And then verse 30, servant. We're all in this together. You just do what, where God places you. I want to share a story with you and then tell you something that happened in my life this week that God uses. I know you don't believe this based on my personality and the fact that I'm a preacher, but sometimes I have bad days. And I was having one this week really bad. 
And this friend of mine called me up. She may be here today, so I won't embarrass But she had shared with me about a month or so ago, I was doing a funeral, and at a funeral I always share, do not have to pray to die, and share this with raising Lazarus, where he said, I'm the resurrection of life. And I don't give an invitation, but I say, you don't have to pray to die, Jesus Christ. And this friend of mine, I don't even know who the person of mine smell, text, a friend of hers was at the funerals I did, I don't even know which one, and that she Christ did that got saved. Well, her husband since has contracted and died of, of before he died. Wife been at my funeral. This week, you never know, dude. Just fate. And I'm not telling you that's to go. I'm telling you, I was doing where God put doing what I'm supposed to. And I, and I never would have known, my friend. I was reading a story this about a teacher. I love teachers starting bad. I back to pray for them. Tough. And this girl had a special job. She taught English. And they would send her to the hospital. In the hospital and they sent her to the hospital to meet with kids. And she did that. And they said, oh, by the way, we got one child left to do nouns and adverbs. So she goes down to the room, goes in, walks through nouns and adverbs in the bed. She walks in, realizes they're virally burned over all this lucky alive, may not live. She's like, how am I going to do now? She said, but they got me here and I'll try I'll do the best I can. She sits down and struggles. How hard that struggle lesson and leaves. Kid comes back the next week for a job. One of the nurses stations talking about the kid. What did you do to him? Sorry, I, I did that. She goes, no, no, you, you don't understand. Since you left. He's had 100%. And we asked him why. You <clears throat> you wouldn't have sent a teacher in here to do nouns and adverbs. She thought she did a hard You never know, do you? Am I willing to sacrifice? You're not perfect. You're not always going to say that and say, all right, Lord. Never heard of him. Interesting guy. Timothy, well-known, elder pastor, Paphroditus. Anybody knew? Both valuable. Paul was. And I don't care who you are. Maybe you're talking to You don't know. No, you're not the guy doing it. You're not the guy who's up front. You are God. You. Just do what God wants. Father, we thank you that you saved us and put us here to use. You want to work through us. You've given us peace, hope. We know love. Use us. Father. Share that with us. Simple little things like putting an arm around something, saying, I was being, you never know. You just don't know. We ask for opportunity. All of us, we ask for opportunity. We ask boldness, love, care. And Lord, we ask boldness, the commitment, sacrifice. What do I need to do? What you want me. Lord, I pray that for all of us. And Lord, if non-believers in our midst, Jesus, right now, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Save. I want to. Please stay.